we are in that place together, thinking on Jesus and his sacrifice, thinking on God and his great love for us. This morning, we continue our sermon series looking at a wider view of God and looking specifically this morning at our Father God, our, as God as protector and as friend. And uh, in this series, we're celebrating that all of us have a different window or perspective into the character of God. None of us as individuals can see God fully or completely, but we all see and know some part of him as he reveals himself to us. And so if we want to know God more, we need not only to pursue him ourselves, but also to pursue him alongside people who are different from us. People from different ethnic groups, different genders, different socioeconomic groups and abilities. And of course, that means that also we're going to pursue God alongside people with different perspectives. And so as Canada becomes more diverse and the church becomes more diverse, it's tempting, I think, often for us to feel a little bit frustrated or threatened. We might wonder why other people don't behave the way that I do or why other people don't care about the things that I care about. Over this series, Pastor Harrison and I are trying to help us see the beauty of the diversity in our own community as we ask different members of our congregation these three questions. Which person of the Trinity do you feel closest to? Which characteristics of God are most important to you? And then asking members to share the story of the gospel, the story of the good news in a few sentences. We already know, because we've talked to a number of people, that we are not able to share everything, even just in those three simple questions. We can't share everything that people say. There's just too much good there. And as, so as you listen again this morning, uh, you may not agree with everything or see everything the same way, but that's kind of the point. So I invite you to ask yourself this morning, as we watch another video of another person interviewed, what can I learn from this person about God? What does he see that I don't see? And how can I appreciate that? This past week, I talked with Nailis. Nailis is in grade 12. He's been a part of River Park Church his whole life, and I had a privilege to get to know him better. I think he's pretty, pretty great. Uh, and so we got, I got to hear, too, about his hopes and plans for the future. So Nailis shared his answers to these questions, and we're going to hear some of his answers together. Yeah, well, that's always a good question because, like, all three aspects of the Trinity are important, right? It's hard to have, like, purely just one of them. For example, like, when I'm just living my life or if I'm having difficulty or if I'm having a good time, I can feel the Holy Spirit with me, just, like, giving me energy or joy or just like being with me when I need him and sometimes just like as I'm living my life and there's good things or bad things I can talk to Jesus about it and sometimes he'll comfort me a bit when I'm down or sometimes he'll show me a different way of thinking about things and other times like if I'm asking the bigger questions in life or if I'm just like praying for healing or maybe peace in some faraway country or just like 
then I can count on God to hear me and be with me there too, the Father. God being God, there's a lot of characteristics to him and all of them are important. But some of the ones that I feel a lot in my life and I value is, for example, like God as a friend very important to me because he's just like a friend he's with you always and he'll take part in your joys and he'll take part in your sorrows and he's just a nice person who cares and he he's there when you need him and also like I value God as a protector who gets you through the dark spots in life that happen because that's how life goes God didn't want to destroy the world because he loved us too much for that. And so instead, he came down to seek us out each individually, but by saving us, he took on our punishment. And so every bit of shame and sorrow and darkness and just every not happy thing that you can imagine, he took on to himself. Thanks, Nalus. It's good to hear from one another about our God and about the story of the good news that we share together. Nalus, like each of you I know, has a beautiful perspective into the character of God. And Nalus talks about God as friend and protector. Because of Nalus's perspective and his story, his experience growing up, he can help us see another aspect of God that Scripture talks about. And so this morning, as we open up God's Word, we're going to look at God as the Father. But we see in Acts the same thing that Nalus said, that when we look, even when we look at God the Father, we can't have just one person of the Trinity. We see, the, we see Jesus and we see the Holy Spirit at work as well. So we're going to read a few different chunks of Scripture this morning from the second half of Acts chapter 6 and then the last few verses of Acts chapter 7. So Acts uh, verses, or chapters 1 through 5 tells the story of the birth of the New Testament church. And as the New Testament church was growing and gaining steam and more and more people were coming to know Jesus, uh, and the church was growing, then this story happens. So Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But these, the synagogue of the freedmen, these people could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit that the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. When they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law who seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All those who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. 
The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your people, your country, God said, and go to the land I will show you. And we're going to, Stephen continues throughout that whole chapter outlining God's promises and faithfulness to Abraham and to his descendants. He outlines how God was with Joseph, rescued him and lifted him up. How God was with Moses and guided him. How God gave Moses God's words to share with others as a prophet. And also, Stephen outlined how God's people almost always refused to obey. Stephen takes uh, what in our Bibles is about 50 or 60 verses to do that. And then he continues, and this is how he ends. We'll pick it up at the end of Stephen's story. You stiff-necked people. He's talking to the the synagogue leaders who he just said uh, refused to obey God's word. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, of Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. A sign that we, don't, we miss, but a sign of contempt. When Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragging him to this, out of the city and began to stone him. We talked about stoning last week. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So far, the reading of God's word. Now, did you notice what I said in the introduction that all three persons show up in Stephen's telling of the gospel? This was the same with one of the beautiful ways that Nalist told the story of God, the good news. I wonder if you ever noticed this before. See, one of the ways that we often think of the story of the gospel, and especially young people think of the story of the gospel, is that we emphasize that Jesus came to earth, but we don't think, or we don't stop to think, that some of us have a view of God, God the Father, as being mean or angry in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is very nice and kind in the New Testament. In other words, many of us have seemingly seem to think that God has different personalities. Not just three persons, but totally different character or personalities. But to hear Nalus tell the story, now I'm quoting him, God didn't want to destroy the world because he loved us too much for that. And so he came down to seek us each individually. But by saving us, he took on our punishment. And so every bit of shame and sorrow and darkness, every not happy thing that you can imagine, he took on himself. That's the same tone and the same focus that Stephen has in Acts chapter 7. I won't go into all the details with you again, but Stephen outlines God's faithfulness, his friendship 
with Abraham. How God protected Abraham, guided him, and provided for him. And then Joseph, God was with him, uh, Stephen says. And Moses, God directed him, Stephen says. God drove out the nations before Joshua. David enjoyed God's favor. The pictures of God that Stephen gives are God as friend and God as protector. He's a constant source of encouragement and strength for the heroes of the Old Testament. And Stephen doesn't just offer this picture of God in general, but Stephen offers this picture of God as his own protection. Remember, Stephen isn't just standing up in front of an assembly of people who want to hear what he has to say. Stephen is standing in front of a group of people who are ready and, and who eventually do to drag him outside the city and kick him out of the community. Stephen tells the story of the good news of God as protector, and that story is his protection. That God is his protection. Stephen paints the picture of God as a good father, a friend, a protector. But Stephen adds, too, that God is a holy judge. It's true, of course, that the Old Testament contains many stories about God's judgment. But it's not God's arbitrary wrath or anger against people who are mostly good anyway. It's God's righteous and holy decisions about people who are harming themselves and others. You only need to read a little bit of the Old Testament to realize that all the heroes of the Old Testament are not the main characters. Actually, God is the main character of the Old Testament, and God is the hero of the story. Stephen knows this story so well that he can tell it without any preparation, even under great pressure, Stephen knows that it's true the Bible has these stories of judgment, but he also understands that judgment is necessary against sin because God is holy, and God loves you. He loves his people so much that he doesn't want us to remain stuck in sin, not as individuals and not stuck in a sinful world. And so here's the key. Judgment is necessary, but judgment is never necessary. God's final word. Judgment is necessary, but judgment is never God's final word. In our world, one of the joys about being a young person is that you have a world of possibilities ahead of you. Some of you are living that right now in high school. You get to pick some of your classes. You get to decide afterwards if you want to go to university or college or trade school. Maybe you want to travel the world or move far away. Maybe you want to live at home forever and never get a job. The joys and possibilities, yes, some of your parents are going to get in the way of some of those dreams. I don't know, kids, if you caught that or not. The, The joys of possibilities of the road ahead are always tempered in our world, aren't they? That you can't just go to any school you want to go to, you have to apply. And you don't always get in. That you can't just go visit any place in the world because some places aren't safe. Or maybe it costs too much money or it's too far or it takes too much time. And there's always pressure, young people. 
Because the adults in your life are always telling you that time is wasting away and yes, do this and don't do that. There's always these two realities in tension in our world. On the one hand, our world is a sinful and painful and unstable place. We can make plans, we can have hopes and dreams, but we can never be sure that we'll get to do what we want to do, that we'll get to pursue the things we hope for. Our world is a painful and unstable place, and sin still lives in our own hearts. And then on the other hand, the Bible talks about, and the Bible talks about God as a friend and a protector who can guide you into the next chapter, the next steps, the next season of life. This is one significant place where young people find themselves, find yourselves, in our world today. You're at the crossroads between an old age and a new age. You're navigating the tension between the broken and uncertain realities of our world, the sin and frustration in your own heart, on the one hand, and on the other, you're wondering about what comes next. You're hoping for the future and you're looking to the good promises of God. You're wondering about what comes next, not just for you personally, but for the whole world. That's a lot to have on your plate. All the possibilities of the future are laid out like a blank page, wide open in front of you. And sure, it's exciting, but it's also intimidating and scary. And so when you see God, perhaps you see that God shares God's friendship with you. God shares his protection with you. He is what you need most for the future. To be certain, God is more than that, but he is not less. God is a good friend to us, the Bible says. He's committed to us in his love for us with all the tension and brokenness in our world. But God is a holy friend as well. He's so committed in his love for you and so committed uh, in his care for you that he's not willing to allow you to remain forever in the tension of our world. God is committed to guiding his people through the tension. He's so serious about it, in fact, that he has defeated sin. The, The kingdom of God is already here through Jesus' death and resurrection. And he will finally defeat sin in, the, in our world, in our lives, and even in our own hearts. All while he draws each of us and all of us from different places and in different ways all to himself. Stephen reminds us that God does judge sin, but that judgment is never God's final word. Because God is not just a good friend, but God is also a holy friend. We can trust him that he will guide us and give us what is good for the future and only what is good for the future. We can believe the words of the Bible that he will protect from evil the ones that he loves. That even when we suffer, even as Stephen suffered, that God will bring something even better for us in the future. Stephen was killed and was ostracized by the leaders of his community Because he could see a perspective of God that the religious leaders couldn't see. They refused to accept Stephen's perspective. 
And so they refused to accept him. I wonder this morning how many of you have received similar judgment. Maybe you, other people, don't want to hear your perspective. Maybe even God's people, you feel like, don't want to hear you or welcome you. This morning, I want you to hear God's last word. And it's not judgment. Judgment is never God's last word. The good news about God and the final word from God are the same, that God is with his people. You have your Bibles with you. And you open up all the way to the end. You get through all of the, if you have a Bible like mine, then you've got all kinds of other things at the end. The last verses of the Bible are this. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And John responds, he says, amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. The last words of God in Scripture are that God, Jesus is coming and God is here. God is with you. God is sharing his life and his glory and preparing his eternal home for you. God is sharing himself with you. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs says. God is that friend who is close to you and with you even now. There is a now to the good news of God's friendship and God's protection. But there also is a future to it. If God has been this way in the past, if he has been faithful to his people, the way all the ways that Stephen outlined, and if God is this way in the present, then certainly he will continue in the future. And so as we close this morning, I just want to encourage you with these last words. I know that many of us, many of you are in one of these dark spots in life. You're in one of these uncertain places and all too aware of the instability, the brokenness of our, own, of our world and even of your own heart. I thought Nehalus said it beautifully in his video. He said, God is with us in the dark times because sometimes that's how life goes. That is how life is for all of us at times. So as we close, I want you to hear that God has a better future for you. I want you to see that God has more of himself for you. More of his grace, more of his glory, more of his protection and provision. And if God can offer you that, and if God does hold that out to you, then why would we ever look anywhere else? Why would we claim another family or another allegiance? As we close, I invite you to imagine, to try to see the possibilities of a future without the pressure or the tension of the present. Imagine the joys of exploring the world without the pain of worrying about money or about danger or about your parents waiting for you at home. This is the future protection that God has for his people. It's a final removal of sin and suffering, of danger and of evil. So as we close in prayer this morning, I invite you to look for the glory of God 
to be thankful for God's presence with you now and to look for it in the future because even if we glimpse it in some small way this side of eternity, it will be greater than anything else our world can offer. So let's look to God in prayer together this morning. Please pray with me. Father God, your word says that you are a friend, that you are a protector, that you are holy, that you are good. We thank you, Lord, that even though there is pain and sorrow and brokenness and tension in our world, that because you are holy, you will not let it last forever. You are coming to redeem your people, to restore us into deeper relationship with you, and to renew your world. We thank you that you are such a good father. And God, in the, for, for each of us, in the many ways in which we cannot see it, we ask this morning for the person sitting beside us, the person sitting on the other, uh, the other side of the sanctuary from us, the person sitting on the other side of the city and the other side of the world who's online with us. God, we pray for them that they may see your goodness that they may taste your glory, that they may know your love and look forward to your final word, which is that you are with your people and you will always be. God, our hope is in you. All these things we pray, not because we're so good or we deserve it, but because you are good. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.